Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster Church. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are glad that you are here with us today. A couple of announcements for you before we begin. The first is to say a special word of welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We are very appreciative of your presence here today and hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. If you are unfamiliar with how we do communion here at Northminster, there are instructions uh, in our order of worship on that. Uh, I'd also like to draw your attention, as always, to the beautiful flowers that are on our communion table. Um, Please make sure after our worship that you take some of these blooms home with you to brighten your day or someone else's. I want to say a, a special thank you to those of you who were here last week for our Halloween gathering. I'm sorry that I could not be here Uh, I did not feel well and didn't think I needed to be coughing on everybody, but from the pictures that I saw and from how tired Eric was when he got home, it seems like it was a wonderful uh, event. So thank you to all of you who came, and a special thank you to those of you who made that event happen. As a reminder, for those of you who signed up for our new members and inquirers class, that is going to be after worship today. Uh, Do please stick around for that. Uh, We have lunch planned. We're going to go over some history of the church and talk about any questions you might have. And I think that will be a really good and helpful time for us to get to know each other and learn more about Northminster. Um, Also, if you will look at your order of worship today, you will see on the front that today is Covenant Sunday. So what that means is this is the day that we remember the covenants that helped in the founding of this church. So in the beginning of our service, right after the processional hymn, which is the Northminster Todayum, we will uh, go through the historical litany together. If you will, if you're able, please remain standing for that. And then after my pastoral prayer, we will go over the reaffirmation of the covenant and reaffirm that together. So do please uh, be aware of those things coming up in our service. Kids, what that means for you is Don't come up like you normally do during the hymn. Um, Wait until that litany is over and then come on up and sit on the stairs, okay? A little bit different today, but I know you can do it. And now I'm going to ask, as we do every week, that we take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to settle ourselves, to give our minds and our hearts a chance to catch up with our bodies. Because this time that we have together is not only sacred, it is fleeting. So take a deep breath. Let that breath go all the way down into the tips of your toes if you can. And breathe in the goodness of this place where you are surrounded by the love of your family of faith and by God. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out those things that we all carry into worship with us. Breathe in again, know that you are loved by the creator of the universe, and then let us worship God together by joining in our call to worship. A little girl, an army commander, a religious zealot. Ordinary water, simple ritual, extraordinary presence. May we have the wisdom of Naaman 
to ask for help when we are lost.
Now, if you would, let us join together in historical litany that is on the insert in your order of worship. We were no people, and now we are God's people. On that first morning, God called us. God called us from nothing. Out of nothing came being. Out of darkness came light. Out of chaos came order. Out of nothing came life. On that first morning, God called us. This morning, God calls us to be the people of faith in the midst of meaninglessness. In the midst of meaninglessness, God calls us to meaning. Out of brokenness, God calls us to wholeness. Out of divisiveness, God calls us to community. Out of tears, God calls us to laughter. Out of self-centeredness, God calls us to love one another. Out of unfaithfulness, God calls us to faith. Out of death, God calls us to life. And we say to our children, Come with us and worship God, who has created and is creating in our midst. Come with us and keep covenant. In times to come, we will tell our children, Once we were slave people, and now we are free. Once we were no people, and now we are God's people. Out of death to resurrection, out of chaos to rebirth, out of unfaithfulness to faith. Praise God for these wonderful gifts. Kids, would you come join me on the stairs, please? Good morning. How's everybody? Turn around and face me so I can see your cute faces. Whoop. Careful. You want to come sit right here? Come on up. There you go. Okay. So we have been talking the past few weeks, kind of on and off, about things that you really only see or do at church, right? So we talked about what a narthex, narthex is. You all remember where the narthex is? It's out there. It's that big room out there. Do you remember what pyramids are? Yep, it's the fabric that's on the pulpit, on the lectern. And do you remember what a stole is? What's a stole? <coughs> kind of. I'm wearing one. This is a stole. Well, today we're going to talk about something else that you really only come across at church most of the time, and that is our organ. Can everybody, does everybody know where the organ is? Where's the organ? It's that big instrument right there. And Dr. Clark is going to help me this morning because we talked about this ahead of time and he gave me some really helpful information to share with you guys. So, the organ is one of the oldest musical instruments in the world that we still use today. And in the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms, which is kind of right in the middle of the Bible, the people who wrote the Bible talk about to praise the Lord with organs. So not like the organs in your body, organs the instrument. An organ is made up of pipes. That's what those silver pieces are. Those are pipes. Yep, Dr. Clark is pointing to them. They are controlled by the keys, and it looks kind of like another instrument. What other instrument does it kind of look like? A piano. It kind of looks like a piano. So when played together, 
all of these different pipes produce beautiful music, melodies, and harmonies, and all sorts of wonderful things. This organ has two keyboards, one on top of the other, and there's a keyboard for the feet. Have you ever noticed that before? So those black things down there where Dr. Clark has his feet, sorry, brown things are made out of wood. Those, that's also a keyboard that he plays with his feet. And sometimes he's playing with both of his hands and his feet. Do you guys think you could do that? Yeah? You want to try? Good. You can, you can try when you get a little bit older and probably a little coordinated. Larger organs, because this one is not even really that big compared to some others, have more pipes and more keyboards, but they work just like ours does. So this organ was built in 1976. Do you have a question? Some churches do have harps, yep. Churches have all sorts of different instruments. So this is the instrument that we have in addition to our piano that we use every week. It was built in 1976. Were any of you alive then? No. 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 I wasn't either. Sorry. And used when Northminster first began as a house church. And then it was moved into this sanctuary in 1991 after the church was built. And even though it is almost 50 years old, it still plays the same as it did. Almost 50 years old. But it plays the same as it did when it was new because we take good care of it. So it should continue to play really well because we will continue to take really good care of it. Now, I know you don't want to just hear about the organ. So Mr. Or Dr. Clark is going to play some things for us. Dr. Clark, could you play really softly so the kids could hear that? soft and pretty that is okay now could you play a, maybe a bit louder for us pretty. do you hear how that was louder okay could you play something maybe one of the poles on the organ that we don't necessarily hear every Sunday So the organ has all sorts of different sounds that it can make. It makes it really, really special because Dr. Clark can play all sorts of fun sounds for us. Now, Dr. Clark, can you play something with just your feet so we can see that? Watch his feet.
several of the kids said very quietly while Dr. Clark was playing so they wouldn't interrupt, that's really cool. So thank you guys for being respectful. So I hope you can see that this is a very special instrument that we are really, really blessed to get to have at our church. This isn't something every church has, and we are also really blessed to have someone who knows how to play that very special instrument, because I don't know about you, but it seems pretty complicated to me. So I want you to keep that in mind. I know we don't always listen to organ music in other parts of our lives, but it's a special thing we get to do at church. So I want you to think about that the next time you hear the organ play. We're almost done. Hold on. Focus on me. I need you to be real quiet and listen for just another minute. So after the service, Dr. Clark has offered to let you all come up with him. You have to be with him and take a closer look at the organ. If you are very polite and listen to instructions, he might even let you play some, some of the keys on the organ but you have to really come up and really be respectful because it's a really important instrument. So if you want to do that, come back after the worship service is over and Dr. Clark will be here and he'll help you, okay? All right, now I want everybody to turn around, face the congregation. You are in charge of this part of the service. Adults, you're welcome to join in, but kids, you're leading this. Sit all the way up for me, nice and tall. Turn all the way around. Face the adults, nice and tall. Here we go. Where I'll say the first line of our prayer. You say it back to me nice and loud. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Thank you, adults and kids. Before you go, can you turn around and tell Dr. Clark thank you for helping us today? Thank you, Dr. Clark. All right, you can go back to your seats now. Thank you, guys. Stand for our gospel reading.
from the Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus came down the mountain with the cheers of the crowd still ringing in his ears. Then a leper appeared and dropped to his knees before Jesus, praying, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I want to. Be clean. Then and there, all signs of the leprosy were gone. Jesus said, Don't talk about this all over town. Just quietly present your healed body to the priest, along with the appropriate expressions of thanks to God. Your cleansed and grateful life, not your words, will bear witness to what I have done. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, let's pray together. Oh God, we do not know how your healing power works, but we long for every need to so simply be healed, for water to wash away pain and illness and loneliness and violence, while replenishing dry spirits and parching earth, nourishing life and beauty. We bring everything we've got as we ask for your help. We lay our bargaining power aside, coming to you with empty hands outstretched, bearing only our prayers for healing for our community, for our nation and world. We offer these prayers for those who feel out of options, whose treatment is a struggle and those who cannot access the care that they need for those for whom a cure is not forthcoming. May they experience your wholeness in their spirit, mind, and body, for your miracles can and do take many forms. We lift up those who care for others, especially for healthcare workers who are so tired, and for all who have poured their energy into helping. Strengthen and encourage them and inspire our society to care for them too. We hold in our hearts those who grieve, who have said goodbye to loved ones, to opportunities, to futures that are no longer possible. May they know your comfort surrounding and holding them. We pray too for those who believe that they can buy their way into well-being, who have tried to barter for compassion rather than investing in relationships, who use their power and status and wealth and yet find it doesn't work that way. May they be set free to experience love through your humble, vulnerable community. Let your healing water flow over us, O God, washing away our egos and widening the banks of our vision. May it carry us toward your fullness of life even now. We ask these things in the name of Christ, whose healing hand reaches out to us all. 
Amen. And now if you would, please stand and let us join together in the reaffirmation of our covenant. The grace of God is making of us a fellowship to embody and express the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we covenant together to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love each other as we have loved ourselves. We further commit to Led by God's Spirit within the family of faith to read and interpret the scriptures, relying on historical understanding by the church and on the best methods of modern biblical study. The freedom of the local church under the authority of Jesus Christ to shape its own life and mission, call its own leadership, and ordain who it perceives as gifted for ministry, male or female. The larger body of Jesus Christ, expressed in various Christian traditions and to cooperation with believers everywhere in giving full expression to the gospel. The servant roles for leadership within the church. Following the model of our servant Lord, and to full partnership of all God's people in mission and ministry. for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. 
So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would suddenly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farfar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why should I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Thank you all for doing that reading. I think it's helpful in the telling of that story. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Earlier this week, I posed a prompt to my friends on Facebook. Some of you participated. I appreciate that. Here was the prompt. Give me an example of a time your expectation far exceeded reality. My example that I shared was seeing my old Kentucky home for the first time. I don't really know what I was expecting, but it certainly wasn't a red brick house just kind of on the highway next to a rest station. Especially after you hear the lyrics to the song, My Old Kentucky Home, part of them go this way. The sun shines bright on my old Kentucky home. To summer, the people are gay. The corn tops ripe and the meadows in the bloom, while birds make music all the day. Now, I have to tell you, that's the updated version that was redone by the state of Kentucky in the 90s. The original 
had some language that they removed, uh, which was a good choice. But after hearing that song, I expected something a little grander, I think. And, and that is just not what the house is. It's just kind of a red brick house. I even remember saying to my dad, we were on a, a Thanksgiving trip to see his family. That's the house from the song? That's it? <laughs> and he said something like, yeah, it's just a house. What were you expecting? <laughs> Folks on Facebook had similar examples. Uh, multiple people talked about the Mona Lisa being much smaller in person than many of us think. While others mentioned landmarks like the Welcome to Las Vegas sign, it's teeny tiny, according to one of my friends. Mount Rushmore, uh, the comment on that was, well, that's weird. <laughs> the Alamo, which as a Texan, I feel duty bound to defend a bit by clarifying that the Alamo that you see is just the chapel of the original fort. It is really not that impressive. Uh, the Panama Canal, Cadillac Ranch and Amarillo. The comment on that was just, ew. <laughs> the Sistine Chapel, the city of Pompeii, apparently it's really just dirt. <laughs> and Jerusalem, a friend of mine said, it was a tourist trap with very little sacred feeling. A few mentioned experiences such as uh, getting a mammogram. It isn't as miserable as some describe it. Seeing the original Ghostbusters, I know that's, that's controversial. <laughs> Eating at Shake Shack in New York, my friend said it was highly overrated. Adoption. Spaces and places that seem huge when we're kids, but really aren't when you go back as an adult. And then my two favorite answers that were both from other female pastors, uh, see if you can pick up on the theme here. One said online dating. <laughs> the other one said 90% of single men. <laughs> I am a firm believer that clearly expressed and agreed upon expectations are a good thing, particularly in interpersonal situations. Because while it might be a bit disappointing to realize how small the Mona Lisa actually is, <laughs> It can be disastrous to discover that your expectation of monogamy doesn't align with your partner's expectation of monogamy. While it might be a letdown to visit the Alamo and see what a tourist trap it's become, it can be life-threatening for your expectation of privacy not to be respected or upheld by the dating app that you're using. But the reality is that we all have unrealistic or unexpressed expectation. That is a very human <coughs> thing to do. And it's a way for us to relate to this morning's story from 2 Kings. Because this is a story full of expectations being interrupted, dismantled, and upended by reality. But before we dive into these verses, let's make sure we know who's who. First, there's Naaman an accomplished army commander and king of uh, Aram's uh, general, who also happens to have leprosy. Then there are the two kings, one of Aram, one of Israel. Neither one is named, but the Israelite king is the one who gets so upset that he tears at his clothing. Next is the prophet Elisha, who we talked about a little bit last week. Remember, 
He's a bit of a wild man and more like the unkempt John the Baptist that we encounter in Jesus' story than the courtly Nathan from King David's story. Finally, playing a small but vital role are Naaman's wife and a servant girl who has been captured from Israel during conflict between these two nations. We don't know either of their names. Naaman's wife doesn't even speak in this story. But we do know that with them, particularly the servant girl, there is no story, no cure, no happy ending, nothing remembered without her. And this is a story that is remembered for centuries. We know this because Jesus is familiar with this story. He mentions it when he preaches his first sermon in his hometown. In Luke 4.27, Jesus says this, And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one was cleansed, Naaman the Syrian. Now Jesus doesn't mention the servants, but as we will get to later, he would not have known this story without them. So our story begins with Naaman, the commander of the king of Aram's army. He is a great man in high favor with his master. And the narrator paints a big picture of him. This is an important man. He is a four-star general, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, decorated for military victories, one of the inner circle. Naaman was somebody to be reckoned with. This man is powerful in every way except one which is where the story takes a turn, and we have the first reality check to our expectations. For though Naaman is a mighty warrior, he suffers from leprosy, a disease that in the biblical world is devastating, debilitating, and often forces people from their communities. Now here comes the second expectation change. The second person to enter this story is this slave girl who was the spoils of conflict between Aram and Israel and is now serving Naaman's wife. She is small as Naaman is big, and the power that he has, she lacks. Yet she is not silent. She actually says to Naaman's wife, Oh, if only my master could meet the prophet of Samaria, he would be healed of his skin disease. Now let's stop here for a second and, and ask ourselves, why would she do this? This girl who has been stolen from her life, her family, her home, and been forced to become a slave, why does she help her captor? And along those same lines, why do Naaman, and then later on his king, listen to the advice that she offers? We aren't given those answers. They're just good questions to ask. We know only that Naaman is given permission to go. He leaves for Israel with a letter of introduction to the Israelite king, and as you heard from the scripture reading, lots and lots of presents. But despite these preparations, Naaman is not well received by the Israelite king. When the king reads the letter, he is wildly distressed, tears at his clothes, and says, am I a god with the power to bring life or death that I get orders to heal this man of his disease? What's going on here? That king is trying to pick a fight. Now, this reaction, if you don't know the background, kind of seems to come out of nowhere. 
It feels a, a bit overblown that he would be so upset that he would be ripping his clothes until we remember and think about how that servant girl came to be in Naaman's household. As the message translates it, she was taken on one of Aram's raiding expeditions into Israel, meaning there has been some sort of conflict between Naaman's people and this king in Israel that he's now visiting for help. More importantly, Israel has been on the losing side of this conflict, and there's a decent possibility that the king of Israel has seen Naaman before leading the opposition army. So the reality of the situation is that this king of Israel has every reason to be distressed when this general who has beaten his people in battle shows up in his country even though he brings an introductory letter and as I said, lots of presents. Now, enter the prophet Elisha. He tells the king, stop tearing your clothes, and instead to send Naaman to him, so that he will learn that there is a prophet in Israel. Off Naaman goes, likely expecting to be met by this prophet who's supposed to help him. But Elisha being Elisha, he does not meet Naaman's expectations. Not only does he not give Naaman anything to treat his leprosy, not a cream or a salve or any kind of medication, Elisha doesn't even come out of his house while Naaman is there. Not, not at all. In fact, you probably noticed as our readers were going over the story that Elisha doesn't speak to Naaman directly at all, but rather sends a servant out to meet him. And the servant has this message, go to the Jordan River and immerse yourself seven times. Your skin will be healed and you will be good as new. Now keep in mind, Naaman is the commander of an army. As I said before, a great man in high favor with his master, an important man, a four-star general, head of the joint chiefs of staff, decorated for military victories, one of the inner circle, somebody to be reckoned with. Speaking to kings, is a normal day for Naaman, and now this prophet doesn't bother to come out of his house? Who does Elisha think he is? This is not what Naaman expected when he heard there was someone who could heal him. What's more, Naaman has no intention of washing in that muddy, nasty Jordan River. As we hear in verse 11, he says, I thought Elisha would come out personally and meet me, call on the name of God, wave his hand over the diseased spot, and get rid of the disease. The Damascus rivers, the Albana and the Pafara, those are rivers in his own country. Those rivers are cleaner by far than any of the rivers in Israel. Why not bathe in them? At least I'd get clean. In other words... If this ridiculous prophet from this nothing little country <coughs> can't even win a battle is going to insult Naaman, why would he subject himself to being not even cleaned in Israel's fetid river? What kind of treatment is this anyway? Just take a bath? That's not prophecy, that's personal hygiene. <laughs> and with this outburst, Naaman... Has had enough. He heads for home. 
It is not just that his expectations haven't been met. The reality of what he's being told to do is ridiculous. And this would have been the end of the story, except for servants. Remember, I told you we were going to come back to them. Father, they say to Naaman, if the prophet had asked you to do something hard and heroic, wouldn't you have done it? So why not this simple wash and be clean? Why not just go ahead and get in the river, they say. Now, being a warrior, of course, Naaman has and will continue to do difficult things. Washing in a muddy river is nothing compared to what he has already faced in life. And so he listens. He listens to his servants. He immerses himself in the Jordan seven times. His skin becomes like that of a young boy. And then, recognizing that Elisha was right, Naaman returns to him, this time talking to the prophet and proclaiming that there is no other God but the God of Israel. Again, Naaman's expectation that the Jordan is a mud hole that would be better off avoiding is undone by reality. Elisha has shared a path to healing because the God of Israel is a God of healing and wholeness. This healing can and often does, as we have seen over and over again, come from the unlikeliest places and unlikeliest people. So what is our takeaway from this story? Is it simply a wonderful example of God acting for our ancestors of the faith despite their best efforts to thwart her? Perhaps. This story is certainly a reminder to not let our expectations get in the way of hearing people who are speaking truth, particularly when it's a truth we don't want to hear. Naaman's story is a reminder that our understanding of our own importance does not mean a thing in the presence of the Creator. And this story is a testament to the need for us to look beyond our expectations to the reality of God moving here in the world around us every single day. But there's another takeaway that might even be better news, which is that there would be no story of Naaman's healing without the servants. This story would not happen without the slave girl who spoke of God's prophet or without the servants who turn Naaman's pride around. This mighty warrior who led armies and spoke to kings was made whole by the power of God and by the intervention of the servants. What a beautiful reminder to us in our privilege, in our safety, in our wealth compared to so much of the world that scripture calls us to new ways of thinking and radically new ways of acting. For the message of God, particularly through the person of Jesus Christ, is uninhibited love, acceptance, and good news for the poor and the discarded. And if you hear nothing else I've said this morning, I want you to hear this. Naaman was a mighty warrior, but all his might could not restore him to health. He would never have been healed if he hadn't listened to those who had no power. He never would have been healed 
if he hadn't listened to those who had no power. God help us. God heal us. Amen. to this time of communion and this communion table, let's recognize that people of faith gather around tables just like this one in places far and near. They're sharing sourdough, rye, tortillas, (coughs) crackers, wafers, and even Wonder Bread, (laughs) all of which represent the body of Christ.
They're drinking wine or juice from handmade chalices and silver goblets, a common cup, a golden spoon, and even little plastic mini cups, all of which represent the cup of Christ's new covenant. The bread and the cup unite all of us who would follow Jesus. This meal reaches back centuries. And this table has infinite leaves and chairs, and there's so much room you can bring to it your doubts and your hopes, your inadequacies and your strengths, your joy and your grief. So come to this table where all are worthy and all are welcome. It is here that Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one. So may it always be. Would you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art. On the night that he was handed over, while at dinner with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. On that evening, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body surrendered for you. Then when supper was over, he took a cup and he filled it with wine. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and drink, all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy in the day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me.
we realized in getting ready for uh, today's new members class that it would be really good if the pastor and her family joined the church. <laughs> Which is just not something we've gotten around to yet. So we are here this morning to, I guess, present ourselves as new members of Northminster. Um, it goes without saying that we have felt incredibly welcomed and loved here. Uh, we both have said it feels like we came home. So... Thank you so much for letting us be here. Um, and are there any other steps, Craig, that we need to take? Are we official? <laughs> Anything else? All right, then I guess we are your newest members. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Pretty painless, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> He's gone. Now hear this benediction, friends. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>